Our scripture reading this morning will be the entire books of both John, 2 John and 3 John. It'll be on the screen. We'll, we're going to be going back and forth between the two. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Grace and mercy and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. For I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked ways. I have written something to the church, but Diatrophes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. 
I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. The children of your elect sister greet you. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends each by name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be, Thanks to, be God. to God. All right. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Thanks. Appreciate that. It's good to see you. Uh, just messing. Um, hey, as we begin, I just wanted to say briefly, because something really kind of captured my attention this week, and that is uh, really compelling that there would be such a broad national conversation about Roe v. Wade and abortion the week leading up to uh, Mother's Day. And there was one particular phrase that really captured my imagination uh, earlier this week. Um, it was actually in a press briefing at the White House, and one of the reporters uh, kind of, they repeated a position on the unborn uh, that they had heard articulated by a, a lead, uh, a prominent pastor uh, down in the South. So basically in this press briefing, you hear a gospel-rooted description of the value or the, the personhood of an unborn child, right, preborn child. And uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was a good statement. So anyway, the, the press secretary, you know, standing there listening, receives it, and then begins speaking on behalf of the administration saying, hey, well, that, that's really an outlying position. That's not mainstream. That's really, that's really an outlying position. Uh, so that word outlying kind of stuck in my head uh, this week. And I just want to say two things about it very briefly um, so that this doesn't become its own sermon before the sermon. Because I actually have three sermons for you today. Um, and so here's what I want to say. She's right. She's not wrong. The Christian view of the dignity of a preborn child, uh, historically, uh, but definitely now, is an outlying position. She's not wrong. And there's a reason why Peter, for example, would write to Christians and say to them, hey, don't forget you're strangers and exiles in this broken world. Uh, the kingdom is coming. Jesus is doing the work to restore and, uh, and bring the life of his kingdom. But in the meantime, while the kingdom is being built, um, for those of us who are primarily citizens of Jesus' kingdom, right, our allegiance to him is greater than our allegiance to a flag or an anthem or a pledge of allegiance, on and on and on. Uh, as long as you have allegiance to Jesus, you will always be an outlier in whatever culture you live. You will never fit perfectly on the left, you will never fit perfectly on the right, and you will never walk neatly down the center, and that's okay. She's not wrong, so we don't have to get angry when somebody calls us an outlier. It's you're right. You're absolutely right. Um, the gospel is outlying, and it is beautifully outlying, but someday the gospel will be centered, Jesus will be crowned king, all injustice will be eradicated, and um, um, it will no longer being, be an ally. In the meantime, yeah, you and I are outliers, and that's okay. The second thing I wanted to say about that word very briefly is... Um, Unfortunately for many women who have experienced an abortion or for many men who have participated in an abortion, they can often be made to feel like outliers in the church or in God's family. Um, and that's deeply troubling and unfortunate. Statistically, um, in any given church on any given Sunday, one in four women or couples have experienced or participated in an abortion. 
And so if that's you this morning, I just want to lovingly say to you, you are not an outlier in our Father's family, and you are not an outlier in our family. You receive the full measure of God's grace and forgiveness through Jesus. You are fully forgiven, a deeply loved daughter, and forever kept. You don't receive second best, and you're not just barely in the family, and it's not that there's a chance that you will be forgiven. You are deeply loved, fully forgiven, and forever kept in Jesus. No outliers in his family, okay? So we are all outliers in the gospel, but in our Father's family, there are no outliers, okay? All right. That's sermon number one. Let's pray. I'll give you number two and then number three. Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. Give us today the bread that our souls need to be satisfied in you. Pray that you would remind us that it's your kingdom and your power and your glory. We pray that the the words of 2nd and 3rd John would be very clear to us, not confusing, clear, um, something we can wrap our hearts and minds around and see applied in real everyday life. And I pray that for those of us who have wounded hearts, we would find hope and healing in Jesus. For those of us with heavy hearts, that we would find rest in Jesus. Um, and regardless of need, Father, you know, you know exactly what we do need. So I pray that you would meet us in this time and place and uh, give our hearts what we so desperately need in you. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right. So it's Mother's Day, and my entire sermon is not about mothers or mothering, okay? So to make it up to you, I just want to give you a two-minute second sermon I'm going to provide the three points, and you're going to provide the poem, because uh, that was a seminary class, three points in a poem makes a sermon, at least back in the day, and then I'll move on to the, to the real deal, but let's just have a, a little fun for a little bit, a little bit. The title of this second sermon, for those of you who came to church on Mother's Day, knowing that the pastor would preach a Mother's Day sermon, so this is for my mom too, uh, it's entitled, Your Mama, because I grew up in the 80s, Okay. Um, my point number one is respect your mama. My second point is show love to your mama's other kids. And my third point is use your femal to go home and see your mama. <laughs> Let me show you how each of those ideas are in the text. Second John verse one, the elder to who? The elect lady. If your mother's day greeting opened with the same thing, your dear mom, Cross it out, erase it, delete it, start over, and use vocabulary like dearest chosen woman, dearest elect lady, because mother is, okay? So that's point one. Point two, show love to your mama's other kid. You're not her favorite kid. And maybe in this year's Mother's Day card, you could say something like, verse four, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your other children walking in the truth. Maybe you could affirm to your mom some of the finer qualities that are true in your brothers and sisters because she is largely responsible for every admirable quality that each member of your family has, okay? So show some respect to your mama, show some love to your mama's other kids, and finally use your femal 
to go see your mom. Did you see how both letters closed? Did you see this? Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our, uh, a lot of translators say your, uh, like hers, your joy may be complete. So let me fix that for you. Uh, though, Mom, er, I'm sorry, dearest elect lady, though I have so many things to say to you, write to you, I would rather not text or email or Facebook message, because I know you're not TikToking or anything else with your mom, right? Instead, I plan to use my femel to come and talk to you face to face so that your joy may be complete, okay? You write the poem and there's your Mother's Day sermon for, for this year, okay? Cool? Do you want me to pray after that? Is that a little cringy? Like, should we pray and just move on? Okay. All right. Let's get down to work now. Second and third John. Last two weeks, I introduced you to the shortest book in the Old Testament. Do you remember who that was? Obadiah. Obadiah. Okay. Shortest book. So we're going to pivot or bounce into the New Testament. And I wanted to introduce you to the shortest New Testament letter. The reason I'm doing this is a lot of these letters or books are often ignored, neglected, disregarded. We don't even necessarily know they exist in the Bible, right? I mean, look, I grew up in a church. I potty trained in a church. I learned to walk in a church. My first fight was in a church. My first girlfriend was the pastor's daughter in a church. Like all my, I grew up in the church. I can't tell you how many of these little books of the Bible I never heard, ever heard a sermon from. I don't know what they're about. I paid to go to Bible college and seminary, and still so many that I, I just I don't know what they're about. So that's not going to be us. And so we were in Obadiah. This week, I'm going to introduce you to, it was just going to be the first or the shortest, but it happens to be that third John is the shortest, and a close second is, want to guess? Second John. So I'm like, all right, let me read these together. And then as I was reading them together, I thought these books are in, these letters are inseparable. They're saying the same thing. If I had a coin, does anybody have a coin? I don't have a coin. Does anybody have a coin? It's okay. All right. So the essence of what John is saying is the coin. One response to what he's saying is heads on one side, and the other response to what he's saying is tails on the other side. They're inseparable. Like, you got to have both, okay? Um, so we're going to hit them both. And then next week, we're just going to do it today, and then next week we'll bounce back to the Old Testament. It's going to be the third shortest Old Testament because the second shortest is Haggai, which we have preached twice in the life of our church. So we're going to pass him by and move on to Nahum, okay? Anybody had a sermon or anything on Nahum? Okay, well, not after next week. Fantastic. Why were the letters of 2nd and 3rd John written? Uh, a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, a week and a half ago, my wife and I received uh, communication from Peter and Mary Clem. Anybody remember P Peter and Mary? Okay, if, uh, man, they just left last year. That's insane. He was part of our pastoral team, and they were so deeply invested in the life of our church. Anyway, they are preparing for a, a missionary life, okay? So they're raising support, and that's why they reached out to, to us. And so the question, have you ever had anybody reach out to you saying, hey, we're going to become missionaries. Would you be willing to support us? How do you make that decision? Like, what criteria do you use other than, well, they were my best friend, so yeah, like, how do you make those decisions? Or let's ask it this way. We're, we're a church family, right? So we give collectively to the work that we do as a family. But a big portion of our budget 
20 to 30%, somewhere in that range, goes towards partnering with missionaries, church planners, other churches, um, like GTO and the local pastors gathering that we host for the good of other pastors. How do we as a church family choose who we partner with and who we pass on? That's the big idea in Third John. Uh, let me... Um, let me just give you a little background, though, uh, just to show you. Written by the same guy to two different churches. Second John starts out, here it is in verse 1, the elder to the elect lady and her children. That would be a really odd way to greet a woman that he was a friend with. So almost unanimously, scholars agree that he was writing to a church, and that would not be an uncommon way to greet a church in another city um, as the chosen woman, especially notice how he closes in the final verse. He says, the children of your elect sister greet you. Like he's writing from a sister church that he's hanging out with. And he's saying, all her kids greet all your mama's kids too, right? So like church to church, uh, John's writing with some authority. So the same guy who wrote second John wrote third John. Notice he starts it out the same verse one, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. And he, um, he says in the final verse, peace be to you, the friends greet you, greet the friends each by name. So he's writing to two different churches. One of them he refers to as the elect lady. Now, to be fair, there is a minority position that could be true that the elect lady, he just doesn't name her, but she is a prominent woman who owns a home and hosts the church in her home. Or maybe she's a leader in a young church and she gets the mail. Like, so she's getting the mail. That's possible. I think he's writing to a church. I think the same, even though he names Gaius, I think he's writing to another church. I think Gaius would be probably the prominent, maybe wealthy guy who owns a big home and hosts the church in it. Because look, first century, all churches were meeting in homes. Nobody was meeting below a boobies tattoo. They were all in houses. So in a house, maybe Gaius was one of the pastors, right? But two different churches, same author, same guy who wrote 2 John, 3 John, also wrote, coincidentally, 1 John, um, and the Gospel of John, which we just finished exploring, right? Same author, different churches, but same, same, same purpose. And that purpose is, man, how, how, do you, how do you choose who to partner with and who to pass on, both as an individual follower of Jesus and as a church? And we're going to see three criteria in the book for those of you who I like to take notes, but first, here's our big idea. It goes partner or pass. It depends. What does it depend on? It depends. Is their community, conduct, and confession anchored in and shaped by the person and work of Jesus? Um, let me just show you what I mean by person and work of Jesus. At the beginning of 2 John, notice in verse mm, 2... John still, truth is all over the place in here, right? Did you hear that when Grant and Amy read for us? Almost like every other sentence had the word truth in it. So big deal. It's the theme. But notice John personifies the truth in verse 2. He says, because of the truth which abide or live would be better. Like it's living. It's living in us. And it's going to be with us forever. Who do you think John's referring to right there? Yes, he certainly is. And why can we say that? Well, what did Jesus say in, in what did, how did John record it in his, in his gospel account? Jesus said, I am the way, 
I am the truth. I am the truth. And all through 1 John, we see the truth of Jesus unpacked. And now here in 2 John, uh, he says, the truth, Jesus, abides in us and will be with us forever. So John uses truth almost synonymously with the person of Jesus and the work of Jesus in 2 and 3 John to answer the question, hey, who do we partner with and who do we pass on? John's going to show us, well, what, we, we want to look for three criteria. Is there a community anchored in the truth of who Jesus is and shaped by him? person and work, is their conduct shaped by the person and work of Jesus, and is their confession affirming the truths about Jesus, which are so clear in the scriptures, that he is God himself, and that he is the only way to salvation, and that Jesus did everything necessary for salvation. There's the good news that we preach is that Jesus did everything because you couldn't do anything for your salvation, right? So community, conduct, and confession. Now, if you need, I always need, I need, I need trigger words, and I need ideas to help me remember things, so here's how I remember. Uh, any J-pop fans in the room? None? Guys, you do know where you live, right? Do you know what? All right, how about K-pop? Seriously, guys? You're like, I eat corn pops, John. I don't know what you're talking about, J-pop, K-pop. It's a style of music. The J stands for Japan. The K stands for Korea. Anyway, in this case, J for John, partner or pass. See, now you'll never forget why second and third. This is why they're written, okay? J-pop. And here are the three criteria. So when somebody asks you, hey, would you support me? Or when somebody comes to our church, and just to show you that, like, I love God's timing for one, but I'm not making this stuff up just so we could have a sermon. In the last 10 days, we've had two requests for the church for support. And we're going to use the criteria from this letter. And at the end of the sermon, towards the end, I will introduce you to both of the requests with an invitation for you to give if you agree, like our pastoral team has, that they pass the test, if you will, of 2nd and 3rd John. Okay, is that all right? Let's do it. And then there will be one other request that I'll, I'll mention. Okay, so let's start with community. Um, now, John doesn't come out and say, hey, before you give to somebody, make sure they're anchored in community. But I, but I want to show you how he sets it up in both letters. Okay, so here's 2nd John. We're going to read 1 to 4 in both, and then verse 7 in both. Uh, John says, the elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Uh, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the father okay so in the opening there seems to be this family or community that has been created by the truth so if you could imagine a big circle uh, we'll call the circle the truth or since john is using truth really and jesus almost interchangeably in a lot of his letters we could say jesus is the one who creates this circle so jesus forms the community and it feels like in this circle there is uh, some familiarity. Like people are known here, right? Because he's, he's talking about her kids 
And he's saying that he loves these people. He's saying that he's heard that the kids are walking in truth. Uh, in the closing, he's able to say, hey, the kids over here, like he's not using their names, but it just, it sounds like a lot of, they know each other, right? There's, there's personal relationship. But there's more than that. There's a mutual love that exists inside this circle that's a special family kind of love. So they're known by each other. They're giving and receiving love. And there's a third piece that we see. There's like an accountability and encouragement piece. Like he's affirming that their lives are consistent with the truth of Jesus, okay? So within a Jesus-shaped community, there are those three knowing, loving, and uh, walking through their accountability. We see the same thing in 3 John. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. There's our circle again. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth. So uh, John's church sent uh, missionaries, and that brothers could be translated brothers and sisters. That'd be better to do because definitely women um, were a part of this. So men and women, they went to, to Gaius's church and then they came back to John and they're like, yo, they're killing it. Like they're walking in truth. They're loving each other. They're submitting to Jesus. And then John says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my kids are walking in the truth. Okay. So first box, when somebody comes to us and they're looking for support, the first, the first uh, line of questioning that we want to ask is about their community. The first question is, are they presently part of another church, submitting to that church, participating in the life of the church, and receiving accountability from that church? That's a big deal in the New Testament. No Lone Ranger Christians, no Christians disconnected from churches. So first of all, are they connected with a church family? Can I pick up the phone? Oh, I, nobody picks up the phone anymore. Can I text or email their pastor in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and say, hey, your boy Joey, your girl Susie just reached out to me. First of all, they, they listed you. Like, are you their church family? Oh, yeah, Joey, Susie, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, all right, great. Do, they do you know them? Like, do you know them well? Are they loving people in your community? Like, are they actively sacrificial, sacrificially living in such a way that they put themselves second so that other people can be first and flourish in Jesus, right? Is that true? Are they known and is there some accountability? Like, do you know them well enough to say that they are actively submitting to Jesus and loving other people? If there is no accountability to community, we are likely to pass on the request for support because I don't know them I don't know them. And so I need to depend upon somebody else's recommendation that, oh yeah, I know her well and she loves Jesus and she's loving people and she's not just, she's not just out there raising money to raise money. She is, she is going to Okinawa, Japan to live as a missionary and we commend her to you, right? We're looking to, look into community. First of all, that they're in a community and secondly, that within the community, it's a community shaped by the truth of who Jesus is and what he has done so that they are known, they are loved and loving, and they are accountable to the community. Why is that important? Let me just show, this is really interesting. Uh, notice verse 7 of both letters. Here's 2 John verse 7. Look at this. Many deceivers have, what? Gone out. Gone out from where? 
gone out from underneath the accountability of a church shaped by the gospel. No more accountability. And they have gone out now because they actually stand in opposition to the historic teaching of the gospel. Well, we don't really share the same view of Jesus. We don't really have the same, share the same view of the gospel, right? And that's what, that's what John says. They don't confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh, like God in human form. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Wow. But look, 3 John verse 7 says something so similar. Another going out. Notice they have gone out. So another group of people stepping out from, but here's the real difference. Why, why have these gone out? For the sake of the name. In other words, um, when we're looking for community, or we're looking where somebody's coming to us, partner or pass, um, we want to see that they have been sent out by a church, meaning they've been recommended, not that they have separated from a church and they're just going their own way, right? So that's the first box that we're looking to check and that I would encourage you, because I know that as a follower of Jesus, you believe deeply that he has given what he has given you so that you in turn can give for the good of others and for his fame. So I know that many of you, most of you who consider Pillar your home, we collectively as a family give here. But I also know so many of you actually set up your budget so that you can prioritize giving to missionaries and other missional works, and that's fantastic. And I know that people come to you and they ask for support. So how, how do you determine partner or pass? I would submit to you from first and, or second and third John, the place to start is in community. Are they part of a church family? Do they submit to it? Are they known? Are they accountable? Are they loving? Are they being loved? Et cetera, et cetera. Does that make sense? All right, second one would be conduct. Uh, let me show, and if you haven't picked up on this yet, notice um, if we're flipping that partner or pass coin, right? You've probably already picked it up on it yourself. Second John is the pass side of the coin. Did you see that? And third John is the partner side of the coin. You've probably already seen that though. All right, so conduct. Uh, we see this so clearly in second John verses four to six. He says, I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, that would be living in the truth. And remember, if the truth is Jesus himself or the truth that Jesus gives, right? It would be a person who is living in submission to Jesus as God and their rescuing king and final authority, right? So Jesus and his word is authoritative over my preferences, my opinions, my emotions on a wide range of topics, right? Everything from finances to sexual ethic to, I mean, everything, fill in the blank, right? Everything. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, submitting to Jesus, living a life anchored in the person and work of Jesus, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing a new commandment. This is nothing new. We've had this from the beginning, and that is we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. And this is the commandment, just as you, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. The second box that we're looking to check as we consider, hmm, do we partner or pass, is what, is what is the conduct or the character of this person's life? Is there real evidence that, I don't want to hear stories from the past. 
I don't want to hear who they were or where they've been. I want to hear where they are now. And I know the, the line between community and conduct is really thin. It feels like the same point. And I think that's fair to say. And I think love is the bridge between community and conduct. Because you can't love separate from community, right? So the very conduct that John is pointing to here, a life shaped by the love of Jesus has to be expressed in community. So again, for this second piece where we're talking about conduct, if I don't know a person and they're coming to us with a request, I need to be able to talk to other people who do know them well and can uh, vouch for their conduct. Just like, just like we saw in 3 John, this one won't be on the screen for you. Right, but in verse 3, he says, I rejoice greatly because the brothers came back and they testified to your truth. And he commends these guys later in the, in the letter. Um, bump, bump. Yeah, he talks about um, Demetrius in verse 12. He's got a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. And then look at what John says. We also add our testimony and you know that our testimony is true. In other words, we commend this guy to you. We commend him. So when we're considering whether to partner or pass, we start with community. Are they known? Are they loved and loving serving, right? Are they accountable? And then we move to conduct. Can people from this community affirm that these people are submitting to Jesus? Because notice how John talks about love. It's not emotion primarily. Um, it's not even necessarily kindness to other people. Did you notice what he said about love in 2 John? He said, love is obeying the commands of God. So if you want to love somebody well, you actually, you actually don't, let me state that differently. If you want to love somebody well, you need to love God more than you love them. And in loving and submitting to God, your love towards other people will be exactly what it needs to be, right? And so community, conduct anchored in and shaped by the person of work of Jesus so that their lives are shaped by selfless love for other people. Now, one more, one more piece that I want to show you before we begin to make application of this, and that is confession or agreement with right, a certain set of truths. Notice this in verse 7, 2 John 7 to 10. Many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not, what? Confess. They don't share the same belief or conviction that we do about Jesus. And what is that? In this case, it was the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. So these were persons who were rejecting that, God, that Jesus himself was God. They were rejecting that Jesus condescended himself. He set aside certain rights that were his, and he came in human form. Uh, and look what John says, such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Those are strong words. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for. In other words, if as a church family, we checked yes on community and conduct, but the missionary or church that wanted to partner with us did not share very important truths about who Jesus is and the work that he has done, look at what happens. We would actually put at risk all of the good work that we have worked for together as a family. Um, verse 9, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, look at this, 
does not have God. Has both the Father and the Son. So what are we talking about here? This is what we're talking about. When somebody comes to us and wants to partner, right? We we start with community. We move to conduct. um, But maybe we finish with confession. And maybe confession is, I don't even want to say it's the biggest piece, but it's it's a non-negotiable piece, right? Non-negotiable. And what I mean is, like, all through the Gospel of John and all through 1 John, Jesus is affirmed as the Son of God, fully God, fully man. That's just non-negotiable for us because it's black and white from the Scripture. Jesus is God, period. Jesus came in human form, and he did all the work necessary for us to be reconciled and rescued to God. So the gospel is the good news that in our inability, the only one who was able, Jesus, did everything necessary for us to be rescued and reconciled to the Father so that there's not something that we contribute to our own salvation. And so... John would say, we are not at liberty to partner with churches or missionaries or professed Christians who do not share those views of Jesus because in his own words, he would say they are deceivers, antichrist, and in partnering uh, with persons who do not share these high views of Jesus, we would actually jeopardize all of the good work that we have done as a church family. So in the life of the church, historically, there have been what we call creeds and confessions to summarize what the New Testament teaches about Jesus. So you could do this. Let's say somebody came to you and said, hey, I'm raising support to go to blah, 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 to live as a missionary. Um, And you say, okay, um, can I just ask kind of three categorical questions of you? Can you tell me about your community? Um, can we talk about, you know, your life and how the gospel's shaping it? And can we talk about confessions? Can we just, I just want to make sure that we believe the same thing about Jesus. You could use these creeds as your reference point. For example, do you affirm the Apostles' Creed? Do you affirm the Athanasian Creed? Do you affirm the Nicene Creed? Let me just give you one example from the Nicene Creed. Okay, so here's a statement about Jesus. And the author said this, we believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through Jesus, all things were made. Okay? And then, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, he became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate, suffered and was buried, The third day he rose again. According to the scriptures, he ascended to heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will never end. Okay, so a helpful creed that summarizes the teaching of the Bible as it relates to Jesus. So as we're considering, we partner or pass, does this person affirm that historic teaching of Jesus? Yes, partner, no, pass. A quote that we like to use around here from Augustine, here it is. Well, actually, we can't even agree if it's from Augustine or not. There's that guy, Rupertus. I don't even know who that is, but just so we're citing our sources right, nobody really knows. One of those two guys, okay? And they said, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. So that creed I just read for you, the summary statements of Jesus from the New Testament, those are essentials. We have to have absolute unity around those points. We're not going to partner if that unity is not there. We're just not going to do it. 
But in all the non-essentials, which is a whole bunch of stuff, denominations, means and mode and timing of baptism, forms of church leadership, church government. We could just go on and on. the timing of things in the end times, right? We just preached on the day of the Lord. I mean, we could just go on and on and on and on. It would seem from the reading of 2nd and 3rd John that in all of those uh, non-essential areas, we have a ton of liberty and not just liberty, obligation to give towards members of God's family who don't completely align with us in the secondary things, right? And in all things, whether we partner or pass, kindness and love, okay? <clears throat> kindness and love, charity. Now, let me give you a couple of examples of how we play this out uh, in our family, and then we'll, we'll, do the, we'll do the calculus right here and talk about a couple opportunities to give. The first is GTO, our Gospel to Okinawa Church Planning Initiative. There are, pro there are, within the GTO family, there are lots of churches who are not a lot like ours. They're very different from us. So within Okinawa, there are kind of three major tribes, if you will, of Christians. There's kind of the, the charismatic tribe. There is kind of a non-charismatic uh, baptistic tribe. And then there's just this kind of uh, non-denominational tribe. Not too much different than your experience in the West, maybe. Tons of differences between those three tribes in the secondary matters. But in the primary things, the person and work of Jesus, absolute unity. So within the GTO family, we gather a whole bunch of diverse churches that when that they have a lot of differences and we give aggressively and work and pray for their flourishing. Here's just one other example. There's a a young man in the GTO family who wants to plant a Presbyterian church in Okinawa. Now, we're not Presbyterian as a church family, but I love my Presbyterians, and I'm so closely aligned mostly with my Presbyterian friends. We are working to give aggressively to support this guy in every way we can so that he can plant a Presbyterian church here in Okinawa for the good of the Okinawan people. And we don't demand or expect that he would lay down those secondary things where he's different from us to be more like us before we'll partner. No way. No way. We're unified in the essentials. Uh, one, other similar, or one other example, we host a near-monthly pastor's gathering, and we invite pastors from all over the island. I'm not even going to list the denominations, but uh, they are all invited, and it is one of the most diverse groups of pastors I've ever been a part of. And we give and we invest in them for, for their good and for the health of their churches. And we have so much that we don't have in common, but we have the most important piece in common, the person and work of Jesus. Now, let me just kind of walk this out one more way to show you. Um, so for example, we did not invite the leaders in the Mormon church here on island to participate in those gatherings. Why? Why, when we were thinking about partnering and passing, would we pass? Well, here's why. And for the, um, man, I got some Mormon friends. I was in the Marine Corps with a Mormon uh, dude in my unit. And actually, true story, he earned a nickname that I should have earned. Do you know what nickname he received? Like his call sign or whatever? Was Preach, Preacher. Like he got that and I didn't. That was really unsettling to my Christian walk. Like, wait a second, what's going on here? Why did he get that? He was such a moral man so deeply rooted in community. So if we took second and third John and we applied this criteria, we would go into that community box and we're like, wow, I think so. I'll give that a check. 
And then we move into the conduct box. And you're like, he is more reputable and looks to be more holy and moral than, than me. So check. But then we get to the third box. And there's a credible divergence between historic Christian faith view of the person and work of Jesus and the LDS or Mormon view of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. They're irreconcilable differences. So even though we may go check, check, we're going to go pass. We, 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 we're not talking about the same Jesus. You may have uh, the name Jesus Christ in the name of the church, but it doesn't mean that Jesus Christ is, is in your church, right? We're not talking about the same Jesus, okay? So that'd be one example. I got to wrap this up. So let's do the calculus. Watch this. Do we partner or pass? Second John is all about passing, right? Look at this in verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Like it's a hard pass. Why? Well, because it's not just about resourcing. It's about reputation. So if we were to partner, we are in essence publicly affirming the credibility of their view of Jesus or their view of salvation. And so John is saying, absolute hard pass. Do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. But then we turn the page to 3 John and look at this in verse Five and six, beloved, it's a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are to you, who testified to your love before the church. You, look at this, you do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. So John's saying when we, we check the community box, we check the conduct box, right? Anchored in and shaped by the person and work of Jesus. And we get to the confession of box and there's full agreement of who Jesus is and what he, what he has done. Yes, yes, yes. What's the nature of the partnership here? Notice what he said, give in a manner worthy of what? God. Wow. So our Father's name. So what's, how would we figure that out? Um, maybe we consider how God has given towards us. And how does God give towards us? Freely, liberally, generously, without end, meets all of our needs. His mercies are new every morning. He can't be tapped out. So then, insofar as we have the capacity, we are going, we are resolved that we will give like our dad and we will give till it hurts. Sacrifice, like it's our priority. We budget for it. And then when we max out on our budget, we call members of our family, we're gonna give some more. So let's be sacrificial worthy of our Father's name in the same way that he's given to us. You can skip this next passage, Graham. I'm going to bump past that. Here are three, two opportunities that were presented to us in the last week as a church family that our pastoral team chewed on um, and we wanted to present to you this morning. And I'm going to give you a third one, which is not as new, but it's one that we want to invite you into. Here's the first one. The woman in the pink is Nadia. By God's grace, Nadia was granted political asylum in Okinawa. The government of Japan does not normally grant this status. It was given to Nadia. Nadia is a refugee from war-torn Ukraine. She is awaiting other members of her family who are still in very dangerous places to receive visa status so that they can join her here. In God's kindness, Nadia was somehow connected with Joy Chapel. 
Joy Chapel is an Okinawan church that is part of our GTO family. Uh, the pastor of Joy Chapel is the woman next to Nadia. Her name is Setsuko, okay? Setsuko. I've met with her on multiple occasions. She's a very sweet woman, godly woman. They reached out to us this week, and they said, hey, we have maxed our capacity to care for Nadia's financial needs. Right now, she's living in, a, in one room in a preschool owned by the church, because she's a refugee, the government's going to give her a house, but it is also one room, essentially, with nothing in it. And so she needs to be able to fill it with bedding and other um, necessary amenities for her three family members that she's awaiting. So Joy Chapel reached out to us early in the week, said, we hate to, you know, we don't like to ask for money, um, but we're maxed out and Nadia has real need. Would you please, as a church family, give? And so we're writing the sermon for 2nd and 3rd John. It's beautiful. So uh, we know them. They they, we check the box on community. We check the box on gospel-shaped conduct or character. And though there are some many differences in the secondary and kind of tertiary matters between our two churches, there is absolute unity on the person and work of Jesus. Check, check check. So now what's our obligation? We've checked all the boxes. We're going to give like our dad gives to Joy Chapel and Nadia. A second, a second opportunity for us to give this week, uh, and she just wrote this week as well. This is um, Utako Greatly on behalf of Paracaleo. I can't give you the whole story. Paracaleo exists to care for the souls of women, especially women who are in ministry. They have come to Okinawa to care for uh, ladies in our GTO family and our pillar family. She just wrote and she said, man, things have been intense. We have maxed out on our budget to care well for women. We're reaching out to our partner churches. We need help. So again, I can pick up the phone. I know where she goes to church. I know the reputation, uh, the community, the conduct, and uh, the confession. Check, check, check. So what's our obligation? If we have the capacity, we give like our dad gives. Okay. Uh, one final one, which is not as new, but I, I want to share it with you. This is Vince and Brenna Hogue. Vince grew up here in Okinawa, uh, eventually moved back to the States. He's American, Japanese, moved back to the States, met Brenna. You're right. He's got some babies, got two of them. And they are um, in the process of finishing up seminary and the pastoral work that they're doing in Florida with the intent of moving back here to Okinawa. And our pastoral team has invited Vince to join our pastoral team here in Okinawa. So they are raising support. They're living as missionaries. They're talking to churches they need to raise a significant amount of money to be able to move back here to Okinawa, and we want to be generous in that work. We've done our due diligence. We have found the boxes check, 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 and so now our obligation as a family, insofar as we have the capacity, which we do, is to be generous like our dad. Okay? So I need to wrap up. Here's how we apply this practically. Later this afternoon, you, if you're on our mailing list, will receive an email because it's our Missional Partner Sunday, so you'll have the normal monthly missional partner feature email, but the lead paragraph is going to be an invitation to give. If you would like to participate with the rest of our church family in giving, uh, there will be a link in the email. Here's the important piece, though. Our accountant knows to look for one key word in the memo box to designate the gifts. So we're going to go with hashtag pop, okay? Partner of pass or J-pop. You can do J-pop if you want. Um, 
we're gonna give at least the first $600 to Nadia. That was the, re the amount that she specifically requested. I would love to double that for her. So if the giver giving is that generous, uh, we will, okay? But the first six will go to her. Beyond that, we'll hit Pericaleo next, their particular need, and then we'll move to Vincent Brenna. We're gonna move to Vincent Brenna third and finally, because eventually they're gonna be part of our family. And we're like just beginning our relationship with them. So we're going to have lots of opportunity this summer to care well for them and to give. So Nadia is our priority, Joy Chapel, uh, followed by Utako, Pericaleo. We want to blow them away with generosity. And then third and finally, uh, Vincent Brenner. And I need to pray because three sermons does not work on a Sunday morning. Let's pray. God, you've given us opportunities to give. You've given us criteria. We know we have a lot of liberty, but we, we consider community, uh, con, conduct, and confession. We see those boxes checked, and then we see you calling us to incredible generosity. So, Father, I pray that you would work in the hearts of every person in our family, and where there is capacity to give as you have given to us, I pray that you would lead our hearts to be incredibly generous towards Joy Chapel and Nadia, towards Utako and her work with Pericaleo in Japan, and towards Vincent Brenna. Father, as we rehearse the gospel for the rest of our time together, would you please remind us how generously and kindly you have given to us and shape our hearts to be givers of that same kind of generosity. In the name of Jesus, amen.